The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 516 for May 1st, 2016. AT&T to shut down their 2G network by the end of the year, cheaper roaming throughout Europe, and two key applications get native iOS sharing. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, the FCC on Friday announcing it has set a spectrum clearing target of 126 megahertz during a reverse auction set for the 600 megahertz airwaves. Television broadcasters have agreed to participate with giving up the spectrum, and the FCC plans to offer 100 megahertz in 10 near nationwide paired blocks of wireless uh, to the wireless providers in this uh, upcoming auction. The majority of the spectrum being given up by television broadcasters will qualify as category one, meaning that it will have little or no interference. Some of the spectrum will fall under category two, which has a greater degree of interference, but not so much that it can't be managed. The FCC is notifying all the television broadcasters about the status of their applications to sell the spectrum, and they will plan a mock auction for later this month and kick off the actual reverse portion of the auction on May 31st. It is unclear, however, how long the reverse auction will take place before the FCC can turn around and then resell all that spectrum to the wireless companies, but AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon have all said that they plan to participate. Intel said it will discontinue a handful of processors meant for smartphones and tablets as it continues to evolve its business towards more profitable products. They've now canceled plans to sell three of its Sophia processor-based combination chips and also planning to shutter the ARM-based Broxton tablet processor. Two of the three modules included support for LTE, though Intel has struggled to compete against uh, competitor Qualcomm as well as others out there. Intel plans to focus on products for PCs, servers, and the Internet of Things. This all in the process of them cutting some 11,000 jobs. So this kind of uh, is kind of similar and related to the news we talked about last week about Intel kind of backing down on some of their uh, uh, products. So this is, um, you know, just one more, you know, one less option we have for processors uh, for, you know, computing power. Yeah, and I, I'm, you know, unfortunately, you know, as we talked about last week, it it all comes down to you know where how the evolution of things is going to go, and if you don't have the the competition that's pushing it, does one group leaving the space necessarily mean we're not going to see innovation further? Of course not. But when you talk about someone as big as Intel who is pushing things in a different direction, it could potentially have at least a minor change, or a, a, we could feel it a little bit. Sure, you know, because then there's not the competition to keep prices a little bit lower. But, uh, you know, what happened with Intel is they were just way too uh, late to the game for the mobile, you know, because ARM-based uh, processors, what, what the, the, the real magic is and why, you know, all of our mobile devices are basically powered by that is that they had a uh, very, very power-optimized uh, instruction set. And so, you know, the, the actual assembly language that runs on ARM is, is much more efficient as far as battery life and CPU cycles and to keep things uh, low power versus Intel is, you know, based on the x80, you know, the x86 uh, instruction set, which is, you know, from the 70s uh, or, you know, late 80s or early 80s, I mean, uh, and it's just not, uh, it wasn't designed for efficiency at all. It was just designed for, um, you know, the processors of that era. And they, you know, added on to it and, you know, changed it to 64-bit and done a bunch of things to keep it compatible. But, um, you know, it's just a completely different system than what we have for all of the ARM base that, you know, our common iPhones and Android devices use. 
Well, and looking at where their business was going, you know, I think they decided they wanted to try their their hand in, in this space. And I think it was 2010 is when they really kind of made a foray into this. And you think about that, the iPhone had been around for three years. Um, Android had been around for two and a half years or whatever it was. And so they were getting into the game um, a little bit later, as you mentioned, but also it, it wasn't like these manufacturers had to have Intel chipsets. And some decided, yeah, we'll try it out. But most just said, you know what, we've been working with Qualcomm for a while we'll keep it going absolutely and uh you know we were at that one ces when they were you know making that huge uh, splash with that uh with the with their um uh, model phone i can't remember the the name of that thing but uh you would even talk to intel briefly uh during that time yeah i had and you know we were talking about trying to figure out different things with them and uh you know it was interesting as they were going through some of their their plans for you know future business and you know where they were trying to grow it and stuff like that just understanding with them you know what their uh you know what what kind of their um what this business unit was trying to figure out where their core competency was going to be what, how they were going to build these teams and stuff like that and it it seemed like there was it wasn't it wasn't a well thought out business plan at the time it was just we've done this forever you know on the pc chipset side we can certainly figure it out for the mobile side um and here we are you know six years later whatever it is and and now they're they're getting rid of some of that stuff um altogether so um, but like I said, unfortunately for some of us here that, you know, follow this stuff, we, we hate to see these, you know, the competition go. And of course, all the folks that are losing their jobs, it's terrible. Um, but uh, hopefully they'll uh, be able to find themselves other great opportunities within the industry. Uh, I'm sure some of the, uh, the folks that are making competing products are going to be looking to pick up some of this uh, good talent that Intel is losing. So um, interesting news here with this. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we won't be talking much more about Intel in uh, relation to the ARM based processors to the processors of phones. Next up, the FCC making big changes to help those with disabilities communicate. In a recent ruling, the FCC determined that it would replace the long-standing TTY devices that are currently in service with something called real-time text, or RTT. TTY devices are used on conventional phone lines and meant to aid those with difficulty hearing. RTT is more efficient and can be used via Wi-Fi. RTT devices send text instantaneously and automatically through wireless networks, and there's no need to, uh, to invoke a send command. Thus, the FCC's it's a more conversational rhythm. And in a statement, the FCC noted that RTT will allow Americans who are deaf, hard of hearing, speech disabled, or deaf and blind to use the same wireless communications devices as their friends, relatives, and colleagues, and more seamlessly integrate into tomorrow's communications needs. More importantly, RTT will allow for partial messages to be sent in cases of emergency where communication is key, but sometimes uh, has difficulty. The newer technology will let texters communicate with people using audio components in their phones and vice versa. And because it's not set on standard landlines, it represents a major upgrade from the TTY technology. AT&T reported its earnings for the first quarter this week, another large increase in consolidated revenues due to the recent DirecTV acquisition, along with also strong wireless subscriber growth. The carrier says it brought in a consolidated revenue of $40.5 billion. That's up 24% in the first quarter compared to the same period last year. On the wireless side, the AT&T wireless division added 2.3 million customers in North America. That includes 1.8 million coming from the U.S. and 529,000 from Mexico. It also stated that it had 712,000 branded prepaid and postpaid phone net ads in the quarter as well. Postpaid churn for the quarter was at 1.1% total churn at 1.42%. 
AT&T will shut down its 2G network ahead of schedule. In 2012, AT&T said it would operate 2G into 2017, though this week their CFO, John Stevens, said the 2G network would be decommissioned by the end of this year. The company has already moved 6 million customers off of 2G over the last 12 months. The bulk of the remaining 2G devices, though they didn't say how many, are in use by the Internet of Things Connected Devices community. Nearly all phones that connect to AT&T's network now do so via either 3G or 4G, though there's still a lot of cost there uh, set out uh, today to operate even just the few remaining devices on 2G. And so Stevens remarked that they're anxious to capture that savings and use that spectrum to continue our strong story in the wireless business. AT&T plans to use the spectrum on a refarm basis for LTE. So uh, I would imagine this has to do with both GSM and Edge. Edge would have been the uh, the technology that would have been under the, I guess, the Edge, or the, excuse me, the 2G umbrella. I would think so. And, uh, you know, the those older protocols are just aren't efficient like the new ones uh, on that spectrum. So it's just the natural evolution of, of you know, the, the networks and the, product, the, the, the actual technologies that are running on the spectrum uh, will be shut down over time because, you know, the number of devices that are running this stuff is just, you know, just old, old stuff now. You know, probably a, a handful of sudden, uh, cell phones and, and probably some machine devices. You know what this means, Joey? This means not. this means the HTC Diamond that I have will never again work on the AT&T network. Oh boy, that's such a huge loss, really. I you know, I think you should write a letter to AT&T you should not uh, shut this 2G network down. Yeah, for the event that I might need to 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 power it up again or all mm-hmm. all those Nokia devices that I have on the shelf. Those are Yes. Absolutely, because it, it, it you know, represents a, a loss of, of major technology and uh, convenience with those. I think a lot about, uh, about this stuff when, when we read these stories uh, and, and how, as we saw four years ago or five years ago, whatever it was, when analog was shut down, I thought, how in the world are we possibly going to get by without an analog network anymore? And look at where we are. No big deal. I mean, it was for a very, very small set of people. It was an issue. Um, but generally people were able to, uh, you know, supplement, uh, and, and handle, uh, that loss and do so without really much regard or much issue. And so I think that's, what's going to happen here as well. Most people would think, what is the, what am I even seeing this? It's when you see either the G or the dot on your iPhone or the E and that's, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, in another, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many years it's going to take, but you know, we're, we're a number of years off, but we will see, you know, Sprint and Verizon shut down their CDMA network, uh, here at some point that will eventually go away. I mean, we still use, uh, uh, quite a bit of it for our current phones, even unless you're on the voice over LTE on the, the few devices that have that, uh, support. Uh, but until basically every device is voice over LTE and it has been for a number of years, they won't be shutting down CDMA, uh, on, on that. But, uh, for, uh, T-Mobile and AT&T, the 3G and 4G networks, uh, we, you know, what, what do we have five, six, seven years on that? And then they'll be shutting that down for all of LTE and or voice LTE. And of course there'll be newer protocols at that time, you know, some sort of 5G, 6G, 7G, who knows what they they will be at that point. But, uh, those networks will eventually go away as well. It's just the natural cycle of how this stuff works. And as they figure out better technologies, more efficiencies and stuff like that. I mean, it's not like we're using less data. You know, they've got to come up with bigger and better things uh, and, and ways for us to move this stuff over the air. 
Absolutely. And, you know, at some point it will slow down and, you know, the, the, the length of time that we replace these networks will will slow down. But uh, I think we have at least 10 more years uh, of, of pretty consistent uh, innovation here and changes, at least in in these uh, network protocols. And if you think about it, uh, you know, LTE can push data up to 300 megabits per second or something like that. But the, you know, the average speed that you're probably getting is probably no more than 30 megabits per second. You see boost, you know, um, you know, bursty stuff that goes up to, you know, 50 or maybe even 100 megabits per second. But the problem is that with as many devices that are out there, it's just not efficient enough of a technology in order for this to this protocol for us to have everybody out there pushing 300 megabits per second. So it's going to take something uh, different that that will do that. And of course, the reforming of spectrum is going to help small cells are helping. I mean, there's all sorts of different things. But, um, you know, ultimately it's going it, to, it's going to be, it's going to be a combination of a lot of things that pushes us into this, but, uh, either way, 2G going away from AT&T here sometime by the end of the year. T-Mobile publishing its financial results for the first quarter of 2016, uh, increasing their revenue by 10.6%, adding 2.2 million new customers in the period. The quarter marks the 12th consecutive quarter, so three straight years that the end carrier has experienced total net growth of more than 2 million customers. The numbers were made up of more than 1 million branded postpaid net ads alongside uh, record branded prepaid net ads of 807,000. Revenue for Q1 2016 was $8.6 billion, up 10.6% year-on-year, with net income of $479 million. And Apple posting its fiscal Q2 2016 earnings on Tuesday, $50.6 billion in revenue, $10.5 billion in profit from the January to March quarter. Their last guidance pointed to a year-over-year decline in iPhone sales for the quarter following the holiday season, citing global economic issues and inflated iPhone 6 demand due to supply constraints the year earlier. Broken down by unit type, unit sales for the iPhone hit 51.1 million units. The iPad was at 10.2 million units and the Mac at 4 million units. For iPhone sales, that's an 18% year-over-year drop and a 19% drop for the iPad. Gross margins for the quarter were 39.4% compared to 40.8% in the year-ago quarter. International sales accounted for 67% of revenue, and they declared a quarterly dividend payment of $0.57 per share that's up from 52% last year. The company uh, holds $233 billion in cash and marketable securities. Alongside the earnings, the first revenue decline was also posted. This was the first in 13 years. 2003 was the last time they saw a quarterly decline. Uh, They also announced, though, uh, the latest numbers for Apple Music. They've got 13 million paying subscribers. That's up from 11 million in February and compares to about 30 million from industry leader Spotify. So if you heard the news, I mean, it sounded like the world was coming to an end when Apple had a, you know, a declining revenue quarter Um, in, of course, mostly driven by the iPhone, which uh, to me, it's almost insane that we're still talking about the iPhone selling as big as numbers uh, that it is because it's been out for so long and the the models have have been so good for so long now. Uh, And I think that's what we're finally actually seeing now a, a result of is that, uh, the, you know, the iPhone 7 uh, supposedly is right around the corner here. Uh, the iPhone 6S, you know, to me wasn't a very good upgrade. I mean, 3D Touch was kind of its big feature. And and it's that's not really that big of a deal because not much supports that yet. And, you know, we, we don't have the, the mindset of, oh, this is what we really need. And it doesn't have, you know, major killer features that really attract people to, to switch over to it. 
And uh, that's really the kind of the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, people are now waiting and the, the iPhone 6, which, of course, a lot of people wanted to get uh, because they got the 6 Plus, uh, which, you know, at that point, we're still now waiting for two year contracts. In addition to the huge change where now we're basically have gotten rid of two year contracts. So people are going to hold on to the devices longer. So it's kind of a triple whammy against the iPhone right now for the, uh, you know, for this quarter and probably for the next quarter as well for the, uh, you know, for iPhone success and, the, you know, the iPhones in general. It's interesting for me thinking about this, this, cause I've got the success and, and thinking about how I use it. And, you know, obviously the, you know, what, what's going to happen here for me this fall? Um, you know, I, I generally, the last, I upgraded after one year to get this device, but it was because of a carrier change. Um, if I look at it from a, you know, what I did before, I had the iPhone 5 for two years um, and was perfectly happy with that and would be perfectly happy holding on to this for another year. However, of course, it's the first new model and that's what I want. And so I'm probably going to try and do anything I can to figure out how to get it. That's right. I mean, because you up until the iPhone five, you were you upgraded every year. Every year, you did, you did not miss a new iPhone version, and and rightfully so because those uh, version changes were drastic uh, back in those days. Uh, you know, back in the days, the early days of the iPhone, they you know they made big time changes. And for me, I think I could keep my iPhone six another year. I mean, I, I probably I probably won't because it's up on contract, but. Um, I, I certainly could I, because I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what the new device is going to be. And mine is suiting my needs, you know, very well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about how, you know, what, what potentially we're talking about here, right? I mean, you're talking about, you know, a little bit better camera, of course, maybe thinner, um, taking away the, the audio port, um, you know, and, and you go, okay, so what, what is actually going to be added here? That's going to be interesting enough for me to upgrade. Right. Yeah. Taking away the audio part. That's definitely what I want to upgrade for. That seems like a great thing. And that, of course, that's the rumor. And uh, I mean, if they bring the weight down, that's what I'd be interested in. I, every time I grab an iPhone 6S, I'm horrified how much it weighs compared to my iPhone 6. And um, it, 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 that, that, that definitely has to go away, that extra weight. Yeah, perhaps they can figure that piece of it out. Perhaps they figure out some more battery, although it doesn't seem like that has really been the priority uh, or it, it, it's going to be the priority. So um, anyway, we'll see what happens here. But, you know, it, it's probably not going to push their numbers back up to the 70 million mark again or whatever they were at, 60 some million, um, but uh, potentially could push them back, you know, can keep them hovering at or push them over that 50 million unit mark uh, as we move forward. Metro PCS offering families a new deal that includes unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, as well as unlimited music and mobile hotspot for 60 bucks a month. That price, though, for two lines. Uh, the additional lines cost $30 a month, and also there's a maximum of five lines. Taxes and fees are included in the Metro PCS price, and customers can then keep these rates as long as they remain a customer plan is available starting immediately. Finally, in the news, starting April 30th, roaming charges across the European Union can be no higher than five euro cents per minute for outgoing calls, two euro cents for texts and five euro cents per megabyte for data usage. That is VAT excluded. So that equates to around a 25 to around 25 percent of the current maximum cap for voice and data and 33 percent of the existing roaming cap for SMS. Uh, these caps will remain in place until June of next year when roaming fields will be abolished completely. More specifically, that will happen on June 15th of 2017. Starting on that date, it will be illegal for Europe's telecoms to charge customers with roaming fees. They must instead charge the same prices for calls, texts, and data as they would cost locally. 
This change applies, though, only to those that live in the EU. So keep in mind that roaming charges and fees will apply if you happen to be with a carrier outside of the EU. So it's really, you know, really interesting that they've done this. And if you think about it, uh, it's kind of fair because you're, you know, saying everybody, you must do this on this one day. And then you have to just communicate with the other carriers, uh, you know, without charge. Whereas, you know, of course, in the U.S., we do still have roaming fees and, and that seems to be, you know, going away uh, more so. You know, back in the day we, when we used to be on Sprint, Mickey, would, we never had to worry about coverage on Sprint because they would roam on to Verizon network where, you know, wherever there wasn't Sprint, there was always Verizon. And uh, but but you had to pay for it or you had a, uh, you know, a handful of roaming minutes you could use uh, typically. And, and of course, once they changed to some of the new modern data, they, they got rid of some of the some of the, the roaming data charges. But they're still there, uh, like with uh, Verizon. I think you have, they're limited to like 30 megabytes or 100 megabytes of roaming data before you start getting charged. So um, it, it's very interesting. But they could do something similar in the U.S. where they say, well, carriers, too bad. You're going to have to allow other, you know phones to roam on your network without charge and and it's kind of fair because then you know you're you're not you're not getting roaming fees but you're also not charging roaming fees yeah and i mean i think about this you know very much like how the the united states has done things right i mean when you're from a like a state perspective right i mean it used to be again many many years ago you had one metro area and then if you traveled out there then the roaming fees kicked in now it's just nationwide stuff right and you're not you're traveling from california to nevada or wherever it is and you're not paying you know further rates but i, I understand these are different countries too we're talking about absolutely and and of course there was also regions too back uh, for a while they had you know digital regions where it was like a five-state area and then they had some analog regions and they had some of the but uh, it really kind of changed when sprint came in and said we've got one one big nationwide network and you can do whatever you want be anywhere be anywhere and it's you know basically a roaming free uh call yeah indeed and you know i mean even some of the you know the north american countries or carriers are, are allowing this between the countries i know t-mobile is an example you travel between mexico canada and the u.s and it's all included and you don't have to worry about it so um, you know, you've got a lot of uh, you've got a lot of precedent here that's, I guess, been sent. And, you know, so if you happen to be in Europe, living in Europe, you're going to notice cheaper rates moving forward for your roaming. And uh, come year 13 months from now, you're going to have none. So that's great news. In device news, Apple now offering the iPhone upgrade program when purchasing an iPhone via the Apple website. Apple first rolled out the program last year with the debut of the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus, packaging together the price of the iPhone and Apple Care into a single monthly uh, device payment. After 12 months, customers can trade in the iPhone for a new one. Pricing for the 16 gig iPhone 6S starts at $32.41 per month, while pricing for the 16 gigabyte 6S Plus starts at $36.58 per month and goes up from there. The iPhone SE is not included in the iPhone upgrade program, but Apple is accepting trade-ins uh, moving forward uh, so toward the SE so that it can knock down the monthly price to as little as $10 per month. And Microsoft blowing out the Lumia 950 XL and the Lumia 950 smartphones, meaning customers can buy one at full price and get a second one for free. The deal is available via Microsoft's U.S. web store. Specifically, people who purchase the 950XL at $649 will receive a Lumia 950 valued at $549 for both for free uh, or for free. Uh, both of these are being sold unlocked and support uh, GSM carriers such as AT&T and T-Mobile. That promotion uh, only goes, though, through tomorrow, which is May 2nd. 
In software news, Microsoft's OneDrive application for iPhone and iPad has added a share extension with its latest update, allowing you to add items to your OneDrive folder or to your OneDrive from other applications. So it now takes advantage of deep linking in iOS 9 as well. So opening OneDrive links directly in the app itself are, are, is available. New features include that sharing extension that we mentioned for iOS. You can now upload files to the OneDrive, OneDrive directly from other applications. There's also some data loss protection that's been improved, and OneDrive now links directly. Directly, uh, w- links will open directly in the OneDrive application. That update is, of course, free. Now, before you say, you know, why do we care about OneDrive? There's a lot of business and enterprise use of OneDrive these days, and so this all ties back in with that. Um, I'm a big proponent of it. I've been using it for quite a while uh, just because of the security features that are behind OneDrive on the business side, and so um, it's been something that I've been using for a little bit of uh, better part of a year, I guess it's been, and uh, it's working very well. So anyway, this was big news for me, and hopefully it will be for you if you happen to be using it. Next up, Google releasing Hangouts version 9 for the iPhone and iPad this week, bringing a native iOS sharing extension with it, as well as a new low power mode. So starting with the latest update, users can share content over Hangouts on iOS without being in the application with a new share extension. Hangouts 9 also includes a new low power mode, which will suspend video sharing during calls when your iPhone enters the low power mode state. Hangouts still lacks, though, iOS 9 multitasking features like split view and slide over for now that's i think a big miss uh you know when it comes to being able to have a video call and i i do it all the time when i'm watching baseball on the ipad i'll make the you know the game small and i'll go off and i'll do other different you know things and you can even do the split view with the slide over on top of that it's, it's amazing absolutely yeah the um the split view and the slide over really haven't been uh, utilized that much for ipad apps it's really uh, very disappointing there's only a few that support those functions and it's uh, uh they were early on and, and very few have added since then yeah so uh that's that's that i mean obviously there's not going to be much that's going to change i don't think with this here over um you know over any specific period of time they're just they're doing what they're doing um and and that's that also an update i i couldn't believe i saw a google uh, google voice app update this week no what did yep. it do i it just said bug fixes or, or support for ios 9 i think it said uh, i was very uh, very surprised to see that so I'm actually I, I've I've gotten into using it a little bit more these days, believe it or not. Um, having moved, I decided I needed a new number, and I didn't want to lose my old number. And so I've got a local number, and I use that. Give it out. It moves phone calls where I need them, and it seems to work just fine. I occasionally make calls out from it, but mostly it's for receiving incoming calls. And just when I give out a number, I give them that that number, and that's that's what I do. So either way, I had not noticed that there was an update for it. I have not really. I don't use the app a whole lot. Um, I just happen to get calls that flow through on it. So that's that. Google this week made a remote control application for Android TV available to the iPhone. The app allows iPhone owners to access and control their Android TV devices. This includes a D-pad and touchpad for navigation, as well as a text, uh, as well as text and voice searching. Google says the app lets people connect multiple remotes to Android TV for multiplayer gaming. The app, which works with Wi-Fi, is compatible with all Android TV products and is free to download from the iTunes App Store. Apple and partners started making the first wave of CareKit applications available this week. Apple announcing CareKit at a media event last month, similar to ResearchKit, helps healthcare providers and organizations create health-focused applications for the iPhone. The first four applications include GlowBaby for maternity, GlowNurture for fertility tracking, OneDrop for diabetes monitoring, and Start 
depression medication tracker. CareKit is composed of four modules that interact with each other. It can be used to help manage wellness, track disease, log metrics, and also share statistics directly with their healthcare provider. On the back end, the health data can be managed and viewed through customizable dashboards. You know, this is just one more step, you know, with the, the health kit they did, uh, the research kit they did. Um, you know, the, the potential for, you know, the research and for the studying and, and improving healthcare is is very exciting with, with this kind of mass uh, capability that we have with the number of iPhones and the iOS devices that are out there and what the data they could collect and then uh, analyze. It, it's pretty exciting to have this uh, kind of this progress going ahead. Well, and I one of the things that I like so much about it is that, you know, as you as you continue to see these different features that are added on, it just it, it helps to make the the types of of features, either whether it's through the watch or through the, the phone itself, um, much more robust. And I, I love being able to do that and being able to see some of the information that's now able to be used. I use it quite a bit with the watch. Um, I use it extensively for tracking of, of movement, tracking of, you know, obviously steps and stuff like that. But I, I, I enter in and actually go into the health application quite a bit to use that for different things. Absolutely. And of course, as sensors start to improve, you know, we've got a, a heart rate monitor sensor in the uh, in the watch and of course a, a motion sensor in your watch and the phone um, it, you know that the, 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 the actual collection of, of you know sensor-based data will improve as well uh, you know just I think it was a week or two ago there was a, a story about uh, you know somebody went to the hospital with a you know a heart racing issue and uh, they were able to look at the, the the data on the Apple watch for the, the the kind of the standard heart rate of what he was having up until the point of uh, of his uh, medical issue and they were able to determine uh, a course of treatment based on the history of the heart rate that was you know collected in the watch uh, you know in the weeks prior and in right up to the time when his heart started racing so they were able to give him appropriate treatment which they were you know you would normally uh, question uh, they'd have to question on what what course of action to do and of course it's a you know a big deal the, which one to pick. Yeah, and it that is just unbelievable to me that they were able to to you know to do that, uh, and he was able to find that information, and it's just, um, it, it's it's fascinating that at this point we're now becoming our own monitors of our our health in a completely different way, um, you know, and it's like it, it's it's it just tells you kind of where you, you can expect things to go because this kind of stuff is going to continue to be prove itself very useful as as America among other uh, you know countries in the world is aging faster. Um, uh, we've got generations that are aging faster uh, from a proportion perspective than we've ever had. So um, very interesting stuff here for sure. On the Android software side, Google on Monday releasing an update to its Android Gmail application, bringing support for Microsoft Exchange. So whether you're on Google Apps or Exchange, you can now use the Gmail application on any Android device to send and receive mail. It will also support Exchange-based calendars. Google says the updated application will be made available for the Google Play Store in the next couple of days. It also supports IMAP and POP email protocols, so you can tie in both your Outlook and Hotmail services as well. Google began pushing an updated version of its camera application to Nexus handsets on Wednesday. The new Google camera app gains a dedicated slow motion video mode available from the slide out camera menu. Nexus 6P owners can switch recording speeds at a whim and the app changes the shading of the shutter button and the camera switcher adopts the circular motion that's more in line with the Google material design. Google camera is available through uh, the, uh, the Google Play Store for Nexus smartphones running Android 6.0 Marshmallow and up, including the Nexus 6, 5X, and 6P. 
And Google announcing a new feature for its calendar app for Android that makes it easier for groups to schedule meetings. The tool is being made available for Google Apps uh, for Work and .edu users to schedule group events. The Find a Time button can scan the group members' calendars for a time that works for everybody. If a common time cannot be found, then Find a Time tool looks to see if there's conflicting events that can be rescheduled. Google says the feature works across time zones and allows the event scheduler to see all invite calendars at a glance. The app makes suggestions and users are still in charge of actual managing of and setting of the meetings. Uh, Google plans to bring this feature soon to the iPhone as well. And Samsung on Wednesday said it plans to make its mobile payment service, Samsung Pay, available in Australia, Brazil, Canada, Singapore, Spain, and the UK later this year. The service is already available in the U.S. and Korea. In Korea, Samsung Pay will soon allow uh, the Worry Bank bank card holders to withdraw cash from ATMs. Samsung says select ATMs will be fitted with the proper technology to sense Samsung Pay on Galaxy phones. Customers won't need to have their debit cards to grab cash. And Samsung said uh, that uh, they did not say, I should say, if they are going to expand this functionality to other banks or to other markets. Google releasing an update to its Google Photos app for Android with a new search bar. The app places the search bar at the top now, replacing the floating action button that previously adorned the top left corner of the app. Photos can now search with a single tap and drop-down menus make it easier to find faces, places, and other photo types. It also added the ability to customize the movie's photos automatically, and so you can now have additional photos, videos, and music directly in your events. Also, the application has made it possible to rename or delete device folders and manage photos stored on an SD card with moving and copying actions and also creating new folders. Apple updated its Apple Music application this week with the Android platform in mind and added access to music videos. Apple says thousands of music videos are now available to Android users, allowing subscribers to browse through new videos and search for specific songs and artists. The updated app also makes it possible to sign up and upgrade a family membership, which supports up to six family members. uh, Apple Music costs $10 a month for a single user, $15 for families. Facebook on Thursday announcing three new applications for the Windows 10 platform, including the official Instagram application for phones, a dedicated Facebook and messaging application as well for desktops. The Instagram app for Windows 10 mobile includes features that have long been available only to Android and iOS, including Instagram Direct, Videos, and Explore. Uh, Also, the live tile for Instagram now shows photo updates on the home screen. Instagram for Windows 10 Mobile will reach Windows here soon. Also, Facebook plans to port the new Facebook and Windows and Facebook Messenger applications to Windows 10 desktop applications uh, from the desktop, that is, later this year. And finally, in software, BlackBerry on Tuesday said Priv owners can expect to see the Android 6.0 Marshmallow hit their devices in the days ahead. BlackBerry has been testing Marshmallow on the Priv for the last couple of weeks, and in addition to all the usual Marshmallow updates, BlackBerry improved the launcher, offering more control over the home screen and increased the number of applications compatible with BlackBerry Hub. The update includes the latest security patches from BlackBerry, including the allowing of BlackBerry Priv owners to set custom personal data permissions, better managing of notifications, and privacy purposes. Also making use of the SMIME for adding digital signatures and encryption to emails. BlackBerry said unlocked non-carrier devices will see the update first, but all Privs should receive Marshmallow shortly. Questions and comments this week. First up, a question from Bill. He says, Bill, or Mickey and Joey, uh, as a longtime listener, I look forward to your reviews of the latest technologies and just wondering if the latest top-of-the-line Android products from Samsung, LG, and HTC are tempting you to switch over to Android, or are you both iPhone converts 
for life. Keep up the good work, Bill. Well, you know, I first off, I really do wish I had the desire to try out one of these latest Android phones. Um, it, it, it just, I, I just don't. Um, and, and really, there's three main things here. So uh, for me, it comes down to the Apple Watch, iMessage, and continuity. So um, I, I just don't want to deal with the hassle of it at this point. So the watch is one thing. It's just a piece of hardware. I could certainly live without that. And I could certainly find an Android Wear device that could help me figure this out uh, if I wanted to do that. And iMessage, of course, could easily be turned turned off and uh, I would be able to still receive my messages just as I would. But the fact that I then wouldn't be able to make and receive my phone calls on not only the Mac, but then also the iPad and the watch and the iPhone, like all of this all together is really amazing. So um, for me, it comes down to a couple of different things. So I, I do a ton of calls on my iPad because I don't always have my phone with me. I'll take my iPad with me and have the watch and the iPad. And that's kind of the good like at home solution for me. Um, but uh, continuity is is just this, this thing that I find just amazing. And it's a great solution for my lifestyle. And so that's kind of the primary reason I stick with it. Yeah, and for me, it's, uh, you know, those features are great and they, that definitely uh, lends itself to uh, t- to me keep, you know, sticking with the iPhone. But it's not uh, necessarily really the big reason. For me, it's the, the consistency of the interface and the stability of it uh, that really keeps me on it. Um, I had an Android phone for a while before I, uh, before I switched to the iPhone 5 when that came out finally. And, and before that, the iPhone just wasn't wasn't for me that it didn't have the right feature set didn't uh, have the capabilities that i wanted in a phone after i had the you know the palm centro and i had the blackberry and uh, you know those devices in there so then i uh, went to a nexus uh, nexus s and while that device was decent and, and android was you know i thought it was pretty impressive it it just was uh inconsistent and very difficult to operate uh, frankly and, and of course these days i don't do much with android but i do uh help people with their android fro- phones on occasion and I, I still find, you know, find it overall just to be just very unpleasant. Um, it's not that they're not capable, but I just do not like them. And, uh, you know, of course, I do hear horror stories about you know, Android devices and the hardware and, the, and all the stuff. And it's just not uh, it's just not for me at this point. I, I will never say never because it, we don't know what will happen. I mean, uh, you know, maybe the, the new Windows phone will be great or maybe the, you know, the, the Android devices will catch up and, and you know, just blast by uh, the iPhone and its uh, stability and, and, and everything. But at, at this point, I don't see any uh, any reason to switch. And of course, for me, I like. Uh, you know, you know, way back in the day, I was, you know, the Palm Pilot user and thus like the central user and like that style simplicity of the device. And I, I think that's what I get from the iPhone. It's not super du- duper feature rich like Windows Mobile was back in the day. I, I like the simplicity of the iPhone, uh, but it but it is powerful. And it's interesting because, you know, as as I'm listening to you talk through that, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is that, you know, you did use Android, but it was quite a while ago and your experience with it is relatively limited in that it's only when you're helping somebody out. I can't say anything different. Um, you know, I kept buying Nexuses and selling Nexuses and um, just never felt like it was the right thing for me and the right operating system for me. And, you know, at, at a, I guess there comes a certain point where I, I just I wasn't I didn't feel like it was worth my time to continue to maintain an Android phone as a device uh, when really what I was looking to do was to simplify what it was that I had. And so that's and it sounds crazy to say with all of these gadgets. But, um, you know, I, I do find that I've got a very simple setup at this point. Um, you know, I, I don't I have one, you know, personal computer. I used to have both a desktop and a laptop. Now I just have a laptop that essentially functions as a desktop when I need it to. Um, 
you know, and I have, I used to have a work phone and a personal phone and I just have one phone. Um, the iPad becomes essentially my portable computer. I do have a work laptop, but that effectively is a desktop most of the time. Um, and so I, I find myself, you know, really using the technology to its fullest extent and sometimes overextending it. I mean, I, I will regularly use a virtual machine on, uh, on my iPad just because I need to get in and do something, um, you know, that's more desktop based, but I don't have a desktop with me because I've got the iPad there. And that's just how I prefer to do things. If I really need to actually do a lot of heavy lifting work, I will go find a desktop and I will do it. Um, but most of the time when I'm on the go, I just don't need that. I can easily figure it out with the iPad. I know, Joey, you're very much the same with that. And I think that's, that's a further, uh, that's a further explanation of it too, is that not only are we talking about, you know, the hardware side of it, but you're also talking about the software side of it. But going back to the hardware piece, it's not just getting rid of the iPhone because then the iPad loses a lot of its value because it doesn't tie in with the, the, the number of things that you have it. I mean, messages effectively becomes useless. Your, uh, your phone calling no longer comes through and, um, you just, you're, you're like losing some of the critical components of having this full intertwined ecosystem that, um, I just don't think you would get if you bought an Android phone and then added on an Android tablet onto it. Absolutely, because they do not have that same style of integration. And of course, for me, you know, that's a great point to bring up the iPad. I'm a I'm an uh, ultra heavy iPad user. I mean, literally, there's not a day go that goes by that I don't drain it entirely and then almost do it a, a full a full charge again and drain it again. Uh, that's many days. So it would just it's baffling. I mean, think about what that means. So the iPad is a 10 hour device, right? That means you are using it so heavy that you're 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 getting down. To, and I'm, when I say you're maxing it, you're probably getting down to like ten percent, right, or something. You plug absolutely it in. yes, yeah. Uh, plug it in. Takes two hours to charge up. You're using it throughout that, and then you're going through the rest of your day late into the night, and it's you're probably just putting it on the charge right before you're going to bed, and it's below twenty percent again. I'm sure, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and there's many days. I mean, most days it's just you know one. I can make it through the whole day, but I'm at, you know I'm nearly shutting it down. You know, at one percent left on on most days. Uh, that I use it. And, uh, and I started with, uh, an iPad too, uh, long before I had the iPhone, I had that for one or two years before I even had, uh, the iPhone. I started with the iPad and, uh, I definitely won't leave the iPad behind uh, for sure. I mean, I would switch to an Android phone, uh, before I'd leave a, a, an iPad behind. Let me ask you this. So, because a lot of people are thinking about this, how is this possible that Joe uses an iPad this much? What do you think your phone is what, what percentage is that at on the battery at the end of the day? Uh, you know, it really varies depending on how many phone calls I actually make on it. Most days I don't make really any. So it's, you know, th those days I'm at, you know, 70, 60 percent still. And this is an iPhone 6, you know, an original iPhone 6 battery. So it is starting to wear a little bit. Um, it, you know, if I do make some heavy phone calls or do some navigation, you know, I'm probably in the 30s at the end of the day. Um, but uh, that, that's typically what it is. Yeah, so, I mean, think about what that means. Like, how, when was the last time I'm I'm saying this rhetorically for the listeners? The last time you found yourself with seventy percent left on your iPhone at the end of the day? That's just that's insanity. I mean, I you know it's a weekend day and I'm still down at fifty percent. Um, you know, I'm usually in the forties or generally the thirties, but um, I'm doing a lot of a calling on mine as well, and that that is definitely a a suck of the battery. But just th like think about that, like the amount of time that you spend on your phone, Joey, like effectively does nothing on his phone because it's all on the iPad, and so. Um, I hope that, uh, Patrick, that, um, you know, that kind of, or excuse me, Bill, that kind of answers that question because, you know, I think you're, um, the, the idea that, you know, we are talking about all these different platforms, but we're both using the same phones and the same tablets and the same, I mean, if I, we essentially have the identical lineup of devices here, give or take a generation on either side. 
Um, and yet we talk about all sorts of different stuff, but it's stuff that just works for us. And I think that is, that is the testament to this hardware that it's, it's stuff that, that we, we like because it works. And unfortunately right now, you know, kind of, kind of really the situation for both of us, we don't have a lot of spare time to actually go and test these things out, which I'd like to do. Uh, but just right now we I just don't have the time to do it. That is a good point to make as well. It, it, it does come down to time for us. And, and certainly there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now that, uh, you know, we would love to say, yes, let's, we can dedicate the time to be able to do this and, and the resources to it. But, uh, you know, further it's, it just, it just gets difficult sometimes every once in a while I think about it and then, you know, something else comes into, uh, my life or walks into the room or something happens. And ultimately I realize probably don't have time to be, to be messing around with this stuff. So anyway, uh, but do appreciate the comments on that bill. Finally, today is a question from Pat. Patrick, he says, hello, TCPJ. I'm on AT&T thinking about moving to T-Mobile. When porting my number, is there downtime where I cannot be reached? Is this a few minutes, hours, whatever? Uh, is it best to do it during the weekdays or the weekend? Thanks, Patrick. Well, uh, as having someone who has done this a, a number of times here over the last, uh, you know, I'll call it 10 years, um, it, it has really come a long way. It's unbelievable how, now how things um, go with this. I mean, there is virtually no downtime and I say virtually no downtime. So, um, of all these times that I've done it here, the last one was, uh, less, well, it was about six months ago, September of 2015. Um, the port was done literally within seconds. So, I mean, you talk about downtime there probably, if someone would have been calling, it probably would have rang just because there was that little downtime in this process. Absolutely. And usually before, you know, even if it does take uh, time, your old device will still work up until the moment that it does the switch. So you really are never without phone call capability. Sometimes data takes a there's a few minutes where it doesn't work, but usually the phone, it just, it, it goes right away. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because they, they will assign you a temporary number. So even then the data does work. Um, but, but it's, uh, you know, and if you're, if you're dealing with stuff like an iPhone where you've got the messages that are generally iMessages and they're all flowing through, through data, then it's no big deal either. Um, you know, for me, it was, they were, the person who had done the port was still like working through the system or like, you know, the, the wheel on the screen was spinning, so to speak. And I, I remember cause I was like playing with the phone just to see how long it would take. And literally it was dead as it was still processing. I mean, it was, I mean, literally instantaneous. So, um, there would be some things that you may want to consider, but this is all, you know, up to you as far as when to do it. It doesn't matter. I did mine on a Sunday, uh, you know, so that was no big deal. Um, if you decide that you wanted to get some credits, um, or not have to deal with credits, you might want to do this on the last day of the month with your, your carrier, uh, your billing cycle that is not the last day of the physical month but the last day of your billing cycle month so keep that in mind if if that's something you want to deal with or maybe it's at the beginning of the month if there you're trying to get to a certain threshold like number of months of service or you know if you're trying to get past a contract amount or something like that keep that in mind but I, I, it doesn't really matter the system itself seemingly works just fine. Like I said, I did it on a Sunday afternoon when there were, I would imagine a lot of people doing this. You could probably do it on a Monday, um, you know, at two in the afternoon. It'd probably be about the same. So um, it, it's very easy. It's 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 unbelievable just how fast it is. So I really wouldn't worry about that. And and don't worry at all about no downtime. Uh, it's it's not gonna not gonna be an issue for you. So. Um, hopefully that answers that. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call 650-999-0524 or send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com.